0: The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche, 46 and 2, written by Dennis Lee, Mercedes Lackey, and Cody Martin. The door to Red's quarters was plastered with police tape. Rage gave Vicky the energy to blast it out of her way, gave her the energy to shatter the locks on the door, and force the door inward before she even reached it. She stalked inside and paused for a moment, breathing harshly, while taking a careful look around. The place had been ransacked, of course. Jensen had made sure of that. Red wouldn't have been stupid enough to leave so much as an incriminating note about an illegal poker game around, but that wouldn't stop Jensen from trashing the place in a pretense of looking for something that he already knew wasn't there. Her hands twitched a little with the urge to get them around Jensen's neck. She was furious. But fury had never left her helpless and blind. Fury had always given her a cold clarity and a sharp focus, had always driven all other emotions out. Fury let her see with the acuity of a falcon and the calculation of a mastermind. So where in this mess would there be something she could use? No hair, of course. But a bit of scarlet cloth made her ease her way towards the tumble of bureau drawers to pick out a red scarf among a pile of red scarves just like it, the one that was the most worn, the most frayed at the corners. Next to the bureau was the pile of books thrown out of the bookshelf— She carefully moved them until she found Franny and Zoe. That went into her bag with the scarf and the box from the med lab containing a slide with a blood smear on it and some tiny, tiny vials of skin and claw samples. Toothbrush, she thought. Of course, it might be at Mel's place, which had been scoured clean of everything. But maybe he had more than one. She began picking her way across the mess to the bathroom when a shadow loomed in the door. She looked over at it and began to shake with rage as Shadow became recognizable human. Jensen. He scowled at her. I... he began. She extended her hand towards him, twitched her fingers, and he found himself unable to utter a word. You. You soulless Bastard, we'll march yourself right back around and forget I was ever here, she said icily. Because if you don't, I swear to you I will witch your junk next and shrink it down so far you'll need tweezers and a magnifying glass to masturbate. A look of disbelief was followed by a look of sheer terror as her fingers twitched again, and he felt the tingle she sent to his privates. He fled. Vicky took a breath, exhaled, and marched to the bathroom. Toothbrush. Red Genie awoke to nothing but a harsh white light. There was no source, it was simply everywhere. He seemed to be on his back, and as he placed his hands on the ground to lift himself into a sitting position, he froze. There was nothing there. He was floating in a brilliant void, and the worst part was that it was familiar— He had been here before. He groaned in dismay. The last time had not ended well. He had no reason to believe this time would be any better. All right, then, he muttered. First things first. Think of gravity. Think of standing on a floor. He closed his eyes. It had been easier that way the last time, He pictured himself standing on ceramic tiles, and with a gentle push of his will, he believed it to be so. He opened his eyes again. The ceramic floor seemed to extend to each point on the horizon. It might have been dizzying if he had not been expecting it. Yes, it was precisely the way it had been the last time. Except now, there wasn't that paradoxical sense of claustrophobia, of being cramped and constricted in what appeared to be an infinite space— He felt calm, comfortable, which was odd in itself. He never felt calm and comfortable. Surely something had to be horribly wrong, for if he was here, then there must be another. An interesting choice, said a voice behind him. It's all a bit bland, though. I thought you were more imaginative than this. It's been a while, Red said, turning. Figured I'd start slow, you know, before we get back to the violence. Doppelganger gave him a knowing smile. She stood at ease, one hand resting on her hip. She seemed petite, garbed in a simple pantsuit of 1940s vintage and knee-high leather boots. She looked to be in her twenties, but there was no mistaking the calculating glint in her eye. It was Doppelganger. This was how she saw herself, Red supposed. Her true self. Carolina. He looked down at himself and was a little surprised to see he was clad in his Echo uniform. Well, that was a revelation. Was this how he saw himself these days? Somewhere, Bull is laughing, he said. I sort of doubt it, Carolina said. I don't think Bull has much to laugh about right now. Red shrugged. So, is this your place or mine? She chuckled and waved her hands around in a grandiose motion. Would you believe this is our place? Both of us, Red murmured. I guess that explains why it doesn't feel so cramped this time. I almost forgot, she nodded. This isn't your first rodeo. Nope, he said, eyeing her cautiously. You seem pretty comfortable here, too. I'm guessing it's not your first time, either. Oh, no, she grinned. I'm well acquainted with this place. You might say I've visited here many times in my travels. The Mindscape has become a bit of a second home. Mindscape, Red mused. Never thought to give it a name. He looked around. I don't see anyone else here. Did you expect to? Unless you have certain abilities of the psychic persuasion, this isn't a place you would regularly come to. He gave her a direct look. You would only come here when forced to. We're not really here, after all, but the mind's a funny thing. Two personas, one brain, there tends to be conflict. Where there's conflict, there's violence. My guess is the mindscape is a visualization of where we meet. It's the best approximation our simple brains can manage. It's here to give us a place to stand on while we struggle to destroy each other, to claim this space as our own. If you've been here before, you've brought others with you. If they are no longer here, then you destroyed them. How am I doing? It's a bit simple, Carolina shrugged, but it's a fair approximation of the situation. It goes a bit further than that, though. From what I can tell, this is the basic makeup of where one experiences dreams, but with the lucidity turned up to eleven. Spinal tap reference, Red mused. Nice. You're right, though, she continued. This isn't the first time I've been forced here. I've brought others, but they're gone now. This time is different. It doesn't have to end that way. The hell you say. I told you, she sighed, standing at ease with exaggerated patience, that before this was over, I would offer you a choice. We don't have to fight. We can be together. Forever. You know, the whole two become one thing. You don't have to be extinguished or extinguish me. We can merge. Think of what you've become, and what I was, and the synergy that could exist between us. Together, we would be unstoppable, perhaps even eternal. She frowned. Am I getting through that hard head of yours? Like a diamond pickaxe, Red sighed. And the others, why didn't you share this space with them? We weren't compatible, Carolina shrugged. In the end, what I received from them proved temporary. They didn't have what you bring to the table. The regeneration alone might be enough to sustain us indefinitely. With them, the fusion would not have been ideal. Merging with them would not have been seamless, at least not enough. But we would be. Enough, yes. Enough that we could even maintain our own identities, for the most part. For the most part? Carolina made an impatient face. You must realize, as compatible as we are, we are at this moment two distinct personalities. Only one can have absolute control at any time. You know I want you here with me. I want to share all of this with you, but I'm not stupid. I don't trust you, not yet. In time, we will draw together, root out the differences, and line up as one. In the meantime, I know you well enough that you will fight this every step of the way. So, it's a matter of time, but for now... Right, for now I'm just going to be some spectator along for the ride. How can you ask that, of me? Maybe you don't know me as well as you thought. I thought love would convince you, like it did for me, Carolina said. Try to imagine it, Red. In time, you would have everything you could ever want, and you would be able to share it with me. You said you still loved me, even after Victrix, that you still felt love for me. What if one doesn't exclude the other? I'm not above sharing you. You would have everything, and me, and you could still have her. Well, that's just about the craziest thing I've ever heard, Red snapped. And that's saying something. So I'll get what, vacation days to be with Victrix, and the rest of the time I'll be chained up in some corner of our brain, be a little bug of a voice in your head? It will seem that way in the beginning, she conceded. Admittedly, securing Vicky from the clutches of the masters might require some doing. Probably a bit of fast talking on my part, or subterfuge, or both. But I think it can be done. As for us, we will adapt to share this existence, to share control, to share everything. Even her. No. Red disagreed. It can't ever be like that. Even if it was possible, even if we could merge that seamlessly, it can't ever happen. And why is that? Have you met me? Red asked. Do you think I would ever let you near her again, let alone touch her, share any semblance of intimacy with her? As for me, do I seem the sort who would give up even a fraction of who I am for anything? You can forget it not for anything especially not for you and not for love Carolina interrupted her voice soft and mournful for completion this can end without violence this can for a change end peacefully and you will experience an eternity of bliss and you will never be alone ever again have I met you Yes, I have. It's the one thing neither of us ever said, ever shared, but we could feel it in the other. We could feel the truth of it. We were always alone. It's our deepest fear, our greatest shame, and it doesn't have to be that way ever again. Red stared at her. Yeah, it does, he said finally. If those are my choices, then it does. Please, she whispered, don't be so rash as to... But I am rash, Red said with a wry smirk. For all my attempts at planning, for all the careful machinations of the past, that really is who I am. Come to think of it, my instincts have gotten me out of some tough jams. When things go tits up, it's all I've got left. And look, I'm still standing. Well, in a manner of speaking. Carolina didn't answer, and merely stood there, her arms wrapped around herself, her eyes pleading with him. Please, she repeated finally. Please reconsider. You know what I'm offering. Don't let some foolish and stubborn ideal stand in the way of. No, Red interrupted. It's not foolish. It's not stubborn. It's me, girl, and you know it. He watched as his words bored into her. She seemed to wither, to grow dimmer, as if something inside of her had been poisoned. She bowed her head and shivered. Red took an involuntary step forward, suddenly concerned. For a moment, she seemed to fade away, her very skin a translucent curtain threaded through with pale veins. She was disappearing. "'Concern became fear, and Red took a few more steps towards her before stopping again. "'She wasn't disappearing. "'She was gathering herself. "'What had withered in that single moment was returning to life, "'and that life was building in a steady crescendo. "'It was as if he stood in front of a furnace being heated to a white-hot inferno. "'Her emotions began to bombard him with a fervid intensity, "'to the point where he actually held up his hands to shield himself.' He felt anger, resentment, even hatred, and beneath it all a cold reserve of self-preservation. And when she finally looked up at him, it all erupted to the surface, unleashed in a mighty blow that sent him flying to land hard on his back. Your choice is made, she said, her voice cold and lifeless. A poor choice. Goodbye, Red Genie. Rearing back, she summoned a blazing ball of fire in her hand and hurled it towards his prone and gasping body. Vicks to J.M. Go for Murdoch, Vicks. John and Sarah had racked out at CCCPHQ. Their shift was over for the day. Krieger attacks didn't usually happen at night, and any attacks that were happening would likely be out of their range, The Kriegers had been testing their limits and had been careful not to commit any serious forces where they thought that John and Sarah might show up. Still, they managed to surprise the Kriegers with some regularity. He had been asleep when Vicky called, but all of his time in the military had honed the ability to go from dead asleep to wide awake pretty damn quick. Sarah stirred next to him, and he brushed her mind with his, easing her back to sleep. "'I'm about to do something stupid, and I want your help,' You and Sarah. You in? If n'ya's Bella or the Commissar doing stupid stuff is about all I'm good for, of course I'm in. He sat up in the bed gently, keeping his voice down. Give us ten minutes to get decent, then we can head out. Meeting at your place? Yeah, my workroom. I'll unlock the balcony and leave the window open for you. Keep this on the QT. Out for now. Roger that. Murdoch out. He sighed, turning to watch Sarah as she slept. Too much to ask for to get a few hours a kip. Rest the wicked, yada yada. He scooted further towards her before leaning down to kiss her cheek. Time to wake up, darling. Like him, although probably for entirely different reasons, she was able to go from deepest sleep to wide awake instantly. She sat up and pulled her hair out of her eyes. Something is wrong she stated, rather than asked. Well, Vicky is involved, so that's a given. Needs us to throw our boots on and get over to her place. Wanted us to keep it to ourselves, too, so I figure it's pretty serious. Hope you don't mind, but I volunteered us. She shook her head. Of course not. I think this might have to do with Red Jeanie. That is the only reason I can think that she would not tell anyone else. That would be correct, Mrs. Murdoch. The strangely unaccented voice of Eight, formerly Eight Ball, chirped in John's ear. Victrix has found everything she believes she can find at the state, and is going to make the attempt to find and rescue the Red Genie. I believe she believes that you two are her only hope for allies to combat Doppelganger. So nothing too serious. John let out another sigh, then swung his feet over the edge of the bed to stand up. "'Best to get moving if we're going to get over there, darling.' As the fireball came hurtling towards him, Red marveled at how familiar all of this seemed. "'Justine started with the fireball, too,' he thought. "'And I countered with a... water wall!' It sprang up before him, materializing from nothing but his will to coalesce into a stout barrier that stood ready to absorb the mass of blazing heat aimed with deadly precision at his heart. Would it be that easy? This was a place of imagination, the weapons at hand fueled and channeled by Will alone. Carolina may have had years to hone her skills here, but Red's defining characteristic had always been his stubborn, pig-headed resolve. He was no stranger to pain and the will to work past it. Perhaps it was the reason he had survived his one encounter in the mindscape. A spell had gone terribly wrong. Justine was a young, reckless fire mage mind-surfing inside of him when her own fragile body was consumed by an uncontrollable backlash of wildfire. In that one desperate fight, a dying girl had pit her frantic need to survive against his and in the end had come up lacking. Neither of them had known what they were doing, relying on instincts alone, grasping at primal forces of perceived fire and water to manifest on a surreal plane of existence. Red had won that fight, but he had never truly known why. It wasn't something that particularly concerned him. He never had any intention of returning to this place. It was just another odd chapter in the increasingly bizarre and frenzied life of a maverick metahuman. He had sworn never to touch magic again after that day, but he never expected to be drafted into the ranks of Echo or to be paired with the likes of Victoria Victrix. He should have seen this coming. A part of him cursed himself for dropping his guard, for letting magic back into his life. He should have known that something like this might happen again. But that wasn't fair. He wasn't here because of magic. He was here because, once again, he had fallen for the wrong girl. A girl who, it turned out, had a metahuman knack of simply absorbing her prey, in some cases taking them whole, extinguishing their minds and picking off whatever she needed from the remaining carcass before moving on. Except this time, she had actually grown attached to the victim and given him the chance to share in this unnatural union, to keep them both intact, and to forge something far greater than the mere sum of their parts. There was no magic at work here. The only thing akin to magic in play was the inscrutable notion of love— something that defied any and all attempts to define it, to quantify it, yet somehow managed to enslave or befuddle the most ardent of minds, the most stalwart of spirits. He had actually considered the offer. It was, despite the sheer creepiness of it all, a grotesquely attractive proposal. A shot at immortality, at immense power, shared with someone he couldn't help but admit was kindred in horrifying ways— The last time, there really had been no option. With Justine, there could be no union. There simply wasn't room enough for both of them. It was her, or it was him. This time, he had been presented with a choice, but it wasn't really a choice at all. It wasn't something he could do. Stubborn, pig-headed, that was Red Genie. At heart, he was too wild, too willful to simply be a part of a whole and right now, more than a little psychotic, or emotionally exhausted, or both. He just couldn't feel anything, even though he knew he should. He should have been feeling rage, perhaps mixed with terror. There were shadows of both emotions there, but there was no strength behind them. As the fireball punched through his water wall and slammed into his chest— Red had the briefest of moments to wonder if this was the day his mule-headed temperament would finally get him killed. Would it be so easy that a mere wall of water could withstand the blazing fury of passion scorned? Of course not. There was a blinding flash of light, followed by the overwhelming stench of burning flesh, and as Red looked down at himself, he was met with an appalling sight. His echo uniform was in tatters, and his skin was scorched, seared in some areas— already blackened and brittle in others. There was no pain, though, and like a harsh light flaring to life in his mind, Red remembered with absolute clarity how it had been before in the mindscape. He had experienced no pain then either, and he supposed that might have been how he had survived the last time. The fight had been quick, if brutal, but whatever Justine had managed to dish out, he had just kept coming. He remembered her cries. Her startled grunts of pain, as his own attacks had driven her back, left her defenses open and vulnerable to his onslaught of claws, kicks, and a final merciless tackle. If he had been coping with the pain of savage burns then, he doubted he could have reacted with that same, single-minded intensity such dexterous acts required. The grapple had been vicious, culminating in a slow, relentless chokehold that had snapped her neck. As recklessly strong as she was, Justine's fire had only penetrated so far, skin deep, not enough to slow him down. His speed and reflexes had won that battle. Carolina's mastery of the mindscape, while lacking Justine's natural pyrokinetic talents, more than made up for any shortcomings with experience and focus, fueled by her raw and ravaged emotions. Red tried to stand and felt his limbs betray him as he collapsed to the ground— This time, the absence of pain made him vulnerable. Carolina's initial volley had damaged him greatly, and without any sure way of sensing precisely where, Red had no clue of how to compensate. He tried to rise again, and fell as his left arm and both legs seized up. He came to rest on his side, his limbs still twitching. He blinked, confused, as a dim light appeared to shimmer in the corner of his eye. Was he seeing stars? That was never good. He couldn't afford to black out. He needed to find his strength. He needed to get up. He couldn't let her win, not with so much at stake. If he fell, she would take all that was left in him. Armed with new powers, perhaps even an immortal vessel, Carolina would be free to attend to one last piece of unfinished business, acquiring Victoria Victrix for her masters. He grunted and struggled again, but could manage no more than a soft whimper as he continued to flail about. He heard her approach, her steps echoing sharply on the cold ceramic tile. He felt her grip his neck, and with ease she lifted him up and brought his head close to hers. Her eyes bore into his, then softened as she averted her gaze. Please, she whispered. Don't make me do this. We could be everything. Is death really preferable to me? Red coughed. His hand, his remaining good one, struggled in vain to pry her fingers from his throat. She obliged him and loosened her grip just a touch. It wasn't enough. She was so much more than he was in this place. He let his hand fall away and glared at her. The wisest thing would have been to stall. In time, perhaps he could find a way, some way to best her. He needed to stay alive. Alive, he would have a say, and perhaps even some influence over her. But to what end? Did he really think he could overcome her? Failing that, did he really think he could sway her? She had spent years preparing for this. If he agreed... If he accepted her terms, in time he would become nothing more than a puppet to her insanity. And that just wasn't him. It never could be. Stubborn. Pig-headed. That was Red Genie. Darling, he croaked. An eternity spent on a Judas cradle would be preferable to you. He watched her flinch as his words cut into her felt her grip tighten as she struggled with her resolve, and waited for the end as she raised her hand, fire dancing across her fingertips. I'm in the workroom. Vicky's voice, hoarser than usual, met John as he landed on the floor of her living room. He let Sarah walk in front of him, leading him to the workroom. For a moment, he wondered if he had come to the wrong apartment. The normally pristine living room was, for Vicky anyway, a mess. There were empty coffee cups and meal cans on every available surface and under the coffee table. The table itself was inches deep in notepads covered in complex equations. It looked as if every page in those pads had been used. Hey, kiddo. Eight gave us the short version. Want to fill in the blanks? He reached out with his telepathy to get a sense of Vicky's state. He didn't like what he found. "'She was right on the edge of losing it "'and was holding on to everything "'by the barest thread of sheer will. "'He knew that Sarah had noted the same things he had, "'if not through their connection, "'then through her own senses. "'Vicky came as far as the door of her workroom. "'To put it mildly, she looked as if she hadn't slept in days. "'Her hair was brittle and lifeless, "'her cheeks were hollow, "'and there was a frantic edge of madness look to her eyes "'that mirrored the mess in her apartment.' The edge of madness was in her voice, too. Eight can do pretty much everything I can, bar the magic stuff, and he can do the magic mapping stuff now, just not the rest of it, like last-minute rescues and opening up holes in the ground. So I've got backup from someone who can do everything I can, doesn't need sleep, can do it all faster, and for a lot more people simultaneously. So far as D.G.'s time is Mel, Eight and I have plugged all the holes, unboobied all the traps, and discovered all the information theft D.G. did when she was playing Mel. She spread her hands wide, and they shook. The measured logic of her speech was at violent odds with the desperation J.M. sensed inside her. I figure that sets me free to get red back or die trying. Not, she added, as an afterthought. That I expect you two to do anything but flee if I go down. If the three of us together can't handle G.G., two of you alone won't have a chance, and there's no point in losing our nuclear option. You two. She meant that. She absolutely meant it. She was throwing the dice with everything she had riding on it, nothing held back, nothing in reserve. It was desperation J.M. had sensed, and maybe a touch of insanity, because if she couldn't save Red, he didn't want to think about the consequences. Aid is great and all, don't get me wrong. But it isn't you. You called us in on this because we're the big guns, right? He took a breath, but continued before she had a chance to respond. We're there so that this little op of yours works. And the way I measure success, everyone gets out alive. Got it? Sarah folded her arms and looked stern. Have you not accounted for how much of your Overwatch aid has needed your magic in the past? And did the genie himself not force you to flee against your will because he believed you were too important to our cause to risk? We will not leave you behind. No matter where we go. And that is final. Vicky grabbed for the doorframe for a moment, then collected herself. No point in arguing with you. I've got my jetpack out there by the window. It's fueled full and ready. I've got the location spell mapped out. All I need to do is run the equations and trigger it. It should plant a finder to red in all three of our skulls. Once we know where he is, we gun and run in, out and back to Echo. I'm... Given what D.G. did to the kids and Mel, I figure he's been tortured, so he's probably in a bad way, so we bring him straight to the med center. That sounds solid to you? Works for me. We'll want to pack along extra medical supplies. Sarah and I can do some healing, but it leaves us next to useless. And if we're going to be expecting a fight, we'll want our full strength. got a spare Echo medical backpack. With the jetpack, I'm way ahead of you. She turned and went back into the workroom. Come on in. Darling, we need to keep a close eye on her. She's hurt bad. You've known her longer than I have, so she might listen to you more than she would to me. Beloved, if I were taken, how would you react? If you were taken, how would I? It is folly to expect anything other than the same from her. Sarah sounded at a loss. We will do what we can, but... Her will is strong, and we cannot combat it without doing her more harm than she is doing to herself. When they entered the workroom, John saw that the carpet had been covered with a canvas drop cloth inscribed with multiple circles and what looked like thousands of tiny hand-drawn glyphs and symbols. His head reeled with trying to comprehend how long it must have taken her to do this. Only someone who was driven in ways he understood only too well could have accomplished this, In the center was a very small circle, densely inscribed all around, containing a motley assortment of objects. A page from a book, a toothbrush, a microscope slide with something preserved on it, a scrap of red fabric and some other bits of things too small to make out from where he was standing. "'You stand there, Johnny,' Vicky said, pointing to another circle, from the circle that she was standing in. "'And Sarah, you go there,' I'm pretty sure your celestial innards aren't going to object to this, but if you zap me instead of finding red, I'm not going to be held responsible for my actions. Aside from getting arranged like furniture, what exactly do you need from us for this spell? In the bright light from the overhead fixture, her skin had a gray tinge to it, and her hair looked like dry thatch, something that a spark would set ablaze. Just concentrate on red, she said and closed eyes that were far too big for her face and far too bright. John let out a breath and cast a final glance towards Sarah. Here we go. She smiled, and then they both closed their eyes. John's thoughts turned towards Red Genie, hearing about his exploits when John was on the run, their first meeting on the streets of Atlanta, the strike mission against the North American Thule in HQ, drinking together laughing together sharing stories oddly enough sharing books he built up memories in his mind until it was almost as if red was standing in front of him he got the uncanny feeling that if he opened his eyes red would actually be there and then he heard vicky cry out come back to me and he was caught up in the teeth of a whirlwind The best analogy he could make was that it was like hanging on to one end of a live wire while the other end went hunting something, or being on the seat of a wagon pulled by a team of runaway horses. And then... He hung there, helpless, held fast by her powerful grasp. Red was vaguely aware that his limbs were still twitching on their own, ravaged by her fire and useless to him. His right arm, which had propped him up against the blast, was all he had left. It dangled from him, his fingers scraping the ground. He glanced up at her and winced as incandescent waves of light and fire radiated from her outstretched palm, like a torch, ready to burn him to cinders. He averted his eyes, turning his head away from that awful heat, but not before recognizing her own hesitation. While one hand held him up, his body fixed in her unyielding grip, the other hand shook with doubt, the intensity of the flames waxing and waning as she struggled with the decision to end him. It didn't have to be like this, she wept. You idiot. You coward. Red didn't answer and kept his eyes averted, waiting for the end. He found his mind going to irrational places, as it often did when he courted death. This was, after all, hardly his first time. His thoughts raced, brushing the corners of his consciousness, ranging from the absurd to those stark in their brutal and honest desire. How crazy am I, he thought, that at a time like this I'm thinking of whiskey, soft mood lighting, forgotten lyrics to some Adele song, wondering who will finally ascend the Iron Throne. Never enough time. Did I really ever want to live forever? Touch my tears, Bella. You ever get Bull to stop snoring? I hope so, but maybe not. I still think it was you that stole my hoagie. Bull would know you'd tell him everything. Even if you didn't, it's like he could lift it from your thoughts. You do that with everyone, Bull? Do you know what Bruno's final thoughts were? God, I could use a shot. Drink one for me, will you, Johnny? Mind that lady of yours, she's a spitfire. Will I see you again, Sarah? Will you be the one to tell me in the end if I ever mattered what I could have done with this sorry life if I could go on? There was so much left, so much unfinished. Was redemption possible? Would I have ever lived up to this hero gig? You thought so, didn't you, Vicky? I wonder what it would have been like. To graze on your neck, the thought of her was beautiful, if painful. if only he could stay, if for no other reason than to know what they could have shared, would it have ended in tragedy, like every other relationship he had ever had, or would this one have been different? He would never know, and the thought of it brought an ache to his adult sensibilities. He felt the start of a laugh, a dry, mirthless laugh, but all he could manage was a low moan. He was broken, his body consumed, his mind crippled, and the only pain he could feel stemmed from a newly discovered and unrequited love. He wondered how long it had been there, dormant, needing only a harsh slap across the face to be brought to the forefront. He was an idiot, a coward. Surely this was the end. This time there was no one left to save him, especially himself. He felt Carolina's grip on his throat tighten, the surge of heat intensify. He would never have his answers. Only the sharp stab of lights before she incinerated what was left of him. The lights. He had averted his eyes to Carolina's fire, but it wasn't the only source of light here. They were surrounded by light, endless points of light from horizon to horizon, but it was something new which caught his eye, from beneath him, as it pulsed just beyond his fingertips. He thought of Vicky again, and it flared briefly. He reached for it, and the dullness of his mind snapped back into focus as his fingers wrapped around something slim and sharp. He stared at it incredulously. It was a claw. It was his claw. What in the world? He drew in a sharp breath as a voice. Vicky's voice. Rang through his head like a trumpet on a battlefield. Come back to me. And his mind flooded with images. No, not images. These were threads of the future, of the present, of dying pasts all the threads of possibles that the seraphim had shown him. Before, he had only focused on the ones where he and Bella were together. That had been all he had wanted to see. But now, now he saw all of them. The ones where he had gone back to Vicky after reading her letter, gathered her into his arms, and that same spark had jumped between them that he'd felt when he'd rescued her. And the ones where that spark had happened later... When she had brought Red Savior and Bulwark to rescue him. Or when he'd done something out of character and gone to console her after Bruno's death. Or at completely insignificant times, at the top of the parkour course, or deciding to bring her Chinese food because he could tell from her voice over his freak that she was exhausted. But whenever it happened, the changes it had made in his life, in both their lives, really... They lit up each other's darkness. They held back each other's despair. Lifetimes of shared memories. Sacrifices. Triumphs. And he saw this thread too. Saw how she had hidden every hint of her feelings for him as he and Carolina fell into their affair. And all so that he would be happy. He also saw with absolute clarity, that if he died here, driven by her promise to him, that Gaius, she would not falter and give up. She would step up. She would work herself to the bone, but she would step up, become the warrior she had once been. Realize that not only could she go on without him, she had to. For both their sakes. For his memory. He almost wept to see it. He had never believed that he could be the catalyst for something so good, so right. But there it was. Even in death, especially in death, he mattered. Again, he almost laughed. Moments before he was cursing magic, and here he was, helpless, and the only weapon he had was magic. He gripped the claw in wonder. It wasn't just magic. It was empowered by Victoria's love, all of it, and it was mighty. And this was what Carolina could not understand, what she could not see. This was the sort of love beside which her selfish, self-serving emotion revealed itself to be fool's gold. All that flooded him in an instant, in the blink of an eye, while Carolina reared back to deliver the finishing blow. Goodbye, Red, Carolina said. I loved you, and you wasted it. Take that with you to the next life. Love, Red croaked. You know nothing of love. Let me show you what love is. Their eyes met, and Red felt the warmth and peace of serenity flow through him. His body had stopped twitching. Carolina's eyes widened as she saw the claw in his hand, With a fierce cry, her hand flashed down, raining fire, just as he was raising his, the needle-sharp point of the claw aimed at her head. He saw her head jerk away, but not enough, and as her flames slammed into him, he watched the claw flash with incandescent light as it sank into her ear, up and deep into her brain. Carolina screamed out, but Red could not. The scorching blast tore through him, robbing him of his voice. He had come alight as wildfire, a blazing inferno. Still, he felt nothing but peace and fulfillment. And with his last thought, he said a small, simple prayer. Come back, Vicky, With my love, come back. Carolina awoke in the darkness and wept. There was pain. Terrible, terrible pain. Anguish. Terror. It was red. John could feel it. He knew it. And he knew where red was, precisely where. The location bit into his brain and branded itself there. And then there was a last wordless cry of despair. A flash of light. And nothing. John's eyes flew open in time to see Vicky collapsing to the floor, one hand outstretched as if in a desperate attempt to catch something that had escaped her. John moved to her in an instant, with Sarah mirroring him from her circle. Holy hell! His hand went to her throat to feel for a pulse. He already knew she was alive from his heightened senses and telepathy, but after what they had all just gone through, he needed the extra assurance. She's still breathing, but she's out for good. He looked up to stare into Sarah's eyes. Darling, we know where he is. The spell worked. We felt him die, Sarah said bleakly. And so did she. John swallowed hard, then shook his head. I don't care. Until I put eyes on him, I'm not accepting it. Magic is goddamned weird, he added trying to convince himself as much as Sarah. I'm going. You should stay here, be here for her when she wakes up. She's going to need you. I've got to try, if there's any hope at all. He leaned over Vicky's unconscious form and kissed Sarah, hard. Love you. I'll be back. You had better keep that promise, she replied fiercely. And then he was gone. When he came back through the window... Sarah had somehow cleaned the living room, and Vicky was sitting on the couch, head in her hands, her shoulders shaking with silent sobbing. Sarah had an arm and a wing around her, but it was obvious from the waves of anguished loss pulsing from her that there was no comfort to be found, even in the embrace of an angel. Sarah looked up at him without much hope. He shook his head wearily. He had burned hard to get to where the searingly bright compass in his head had told him Red had been. Another abandoned mental asylum out in the Georgia backcountry. It had been something out of a horror movie. Torture implements that had been recently used, and too much blood. There had also been traces of something magical. John had ate recording everything through his overwatch rig, and he had gathered the tools in a plastic bag he had found in the medical backpack. He had also taken several samples of the blood. He had no way of telling whether it was all from one person. He suspected it was, or from a number of people, so he wanted to be sure to not miss anything. He stashed the medical backpack out of sight in Vicky's workroom. There would be time for them to get to it later, and take it all to Echo for forensic analysis. No red, and no doppelganger, love. There was a lot of blood and some nasty emotion soaked into that godforsaken place, though. I have not felt so helpless, except when you had forgotten me, came the heartbreaking response. I do not know what to do. Anything that I can say will be so hollow. Don't say anything, then. We'll just be here for her. She'll talk when she's ready. Getting her some rest is the best thing we can do for her. She'll be able to deal with this a lot better once she's slept some. He felt just as helpless as Sarah at this point. His legs felt wooden as he trod over to the kitchen. Red had been his friend, and while he could empathize with the little broken mage on the couch, he knew he could never comprehend how much she had just lost. But he'd do his best for her. She was his friend as well, and between what she had shown him when his memory had been locked away, what he had come to feel through his connection with Sarah, and how she had worked so hard to find his journal so that he was able to get his memory back, he owed her too much to just walk away and leave her to suffer alone. There were just no words for such a terrible loss. A piece of her was dead, and there was nothing that could fill that horrible wound in her soul. "'It's not goddamn fair. "'We had him, knew where he was. "'We were ready to get him and kill that bastard "'that had been wearing Mel's face. "'Despite all of the awful crap "'that had been going on in the war so far, "'it wasn't until that very moment "'that John felt so weary "'that he thought he might entertain giving up. "'He was tired of losing people. "'Where's the goddamn scotch? "'She must have moved it since the last time I had any here.' Single malts in the top cabinet next to the outside wall hotshot. Gray, who was looking rather as if he'd been fighting several losing battles himself, his fur dry and harsh, regarded him from the divider between the kitchen and the living room. Your instincts are pretty good, for a ground-pounding grunt. Short of knocking her out with a trank, getting her drunk might be the only thing to do right now. The cat shook himself all over and hissed. Fuck. John had forgotten that the large cat was more than met the eye. He retrieved the bottle and nodded his thanks to Gray as he made his way back to the couch. He sat down on the other side of Vicky from Sarah, setting the bottle down on the table. Herb was already there, a shot glass held up in his stubby arms. He uncorked the bottle and poured a shot, pulling one of Vicky's hands away from her face and curling her fingers around it. Here, Vic, drink this. She stared at it for a moment, as if she didn't recognize what it was, then blinked, sending more tears down her face, and chugged the shot. Wordlessly, she held up the glass, and he poured again, and again, and again. Just as he was getting ready to pour the fifth shot, her eyes rolled up into her head, and she passed out on Sarah's shoulder. With a nod to John, the angel picked her up as if she weighed nothing and carried her into the bedroom, coming out a moment later. Stay or go? She asked him. I figure we stay the night. I don't want to leave her alone. If she gets any ideas about not wanting to go on or anything like that, we ought to be here. I have reported everything to Belladonna. Eight said. She will send a messenger for the medical bag and the samples and requests you to stay until she and Bulwark can take over. That seemed to cover everything. John leaned forward in his seat, picked up the bottle of scotch, and drained nearly half of what was left before setting it back down. Sarah settled back on the couch next to him, put her arm and wing around him. I would very much like a serving of that beverage, she said, in a voice heavy with unshed tears. I would like to drink to Red. John nodded and picked up the bottle again. There was more than enough left for the both of them. You know, this is the same brand that Red and I drank together. John held the bottle up. To Red. After taking a long pull, he handed the bottle to Sarah. She took an equally healthy swig, seeming to take no effect from it, though he had never seen her drink liquor of any kind before. To Red. And when the bottle was empty, they held each other against the grief, the dark, and the night. You've been listening to... The Secret World Chronicle Written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer Narration and production by Veronica Jaguerre at VoicesByVeronica.com Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash secret world chronicle. And as always, thank you for listening.